0: Feeling better, looking better, making life better. It's Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Life, 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 Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts.
1: Welcome back to The Life Tips Show, everyone. Byron White here with Alan Fox. Alan, welcome.
2: Glad to be here, Byron.
1: Very excited to chat with you about your book today, People, Tools for Business. Tell us a little bit about this concept of people and why people need tools for business. Tell me about how you bridged that gap.
2: Well, it seems to me in business, for example, you need other people. You need people to work with. You need customers. And the better you get along with people the better you're going to do in business and the better you're going to do with your life. You know, each of us is the sole proprietor of our own life. So taking care of yourself in life, these tools apply equally well.
1: So what exactly are people tools? Can you sort of explain that to me or your, your quick definition?
2: Sure. It's, it's, it's a way of thinking and looking at yourself and other people. For example, um, in my first book, People Tools, uh, which was a New York Times bestseller, uh, I won the belt buckle. You look at what people do. So if someone says one thing, you know, I'll meet you at lunch uh, at noon, and they arrive at 12.30, and they do that over and over. That's a belt buckle. So I look at what people do, not what they say. That's, that's, that's one people tool. Uh, and, uh, for example, in uh, business, advertise your mistakes. It really gets people on your side and working with you, and then they can tell you their mistakes, and you can run your business better. So these are ways of thinking and uh, dealing with other people uh, to be more productive in your
1: experience how much how much overlap is there between what people say they're going to do and what they actually do do you have a thought on what percentage that might actually be what gets um, what 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 gets executed essentially with what people say they will do
2: well I would say this. Uh, I, I don't think it's possible to generalize among all people. I think you can certainly generalize about one person. In other words, patterns persist. When you see a pattern, some people, they say they'll do something by tomorrow at noon, they will do it. Some people will promise and they won't. So I think that's an individual thing. Some people do what they say. Some people don't. Um, or maybe some things they do, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, I'll go to the doctor for this, uh, sort of the next month. And, you know, they don't like going to the doctor. They won't. So I think it's person specific and situation specific. And you got to figure that out in, in each case for yourself.
1: Habits are difficult to change. How can your book help us, first of all, identify our bad habits? And then what is your exit? What, what is your execution strategy to change
2: those habits? Well, the execution strategy is this. Really, you have to do it yourself. Um, one of my tools, I gave, I gave a book to my doctor this morning, and he opened it and started going through it. And he said to his nurse, "See, this chapter is for you. Leave grumpy at home. You know, <laughs> when you're when you're at work and you're grumpy, first of all, you don't feel too good. I'm going to avoid you. And don't want you to be there." So I say, you know, if you wake up grumpy, leave it at home, don't bring it to work. And and that's something you can do. I, I think all of us can kind of raise our attitude uh, consciously. When you
1: talk with people or interview people, do you pick up on flaws of people that do not have the skill sets that you, you know, have so graciously uh, organized and researched in mm-hmm. your book?
2: Well, i the research has been mistakes I've made. Uh, I mean, good lord, I had a, um, uh, you know, I practiced law, I practiced accounting, I've had a large commercial real estate company for many years. And when I make mistakes, I want to do it better next time. So I figured out how to do things better. And it's up to me to make a change. Um, you know, I knew 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 a psychiatrist once, and he uh, had a couple come. You know, he said when couples come in, it's always the wife comes in and wants the husband to change. And he says to the wife, "What do you have to change?" She says, "No, no, 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 no. he has to you know, If you want something to change, you have to change the way you do it. And so it's up to the individual, and that's what people tools are about to give you ideas on how you can change your attitude, your actions." And get a better result with other people. How does
1: speed to execute figure into productivity and overall success?
2: Well, I think execution is, is, is all there is. Um, you know, I uh, <laughs> I've gotten upset the past week because last week I just got all kinds of excuses from people on this, that, and the other thing, and I really don't care uh, if the escrow didn't close if if you didn't finish uh, writing the letter then you didn't, and I, I really don't care why. Do you feel that... Yeah. Well, well,
1: should, should we have a to- tolerance for excuses, by the way? Uh, when is it okay to tolerate an excuse for not getting something done? I,
2: I, I don't think it's necessary to be unkind, but I think it's important to let other people know that, and let yourself know that you don't tolerate excuses. Start with yourself. If 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 I start thinking that well let's see what are my excuses for not getting this done by tomorrow, then I'll spend more time and energy on the excuse than on getting it done. And if I have a habit of making excuses, then it's a habit of not getting things done. I mean, for example, uh, Byron, one chapter is you are not in the business of making telephone calls. I came into my office Tuesday morning. The elevator didn't work. One elevator didn't work. It had gone out Thursday afternoon. The person in charge. I said, what is going on? She said, well, I called on Thursday. The elevator company said they would be here. And you're not in the business of making telephone calls. You're in the business of making things happen. <laughs> so I don't care if you made a 1,000 calls and nothing happened, or you made one call or asked somebody else to do it, and it happened. You're in the business of making things happen. So when you start giving yourself excuses, you don't perform. And the world pays off on performance.
1: One of the notions that you talk about in the book is is this concept of being a contrarian. Could you explain that and
2: describe that? What your thoughts are there? Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, one area is in the marketplace, and here I'm talking about uh, economics, homes, uh, cars. Uh, or excuse me not cars, homes, stocks. For example, years ago, my dad called a stockbroker, and um, Said I'm interested in savings and loan. Uh, first Charter Financial, give me your research. Broker said we don't have research. Savings was so bad we don't even follow them. So they were out of favor. My father bought thousands of shares, and a few years later he sold. He bought them at seven dollars, sold them at twenty eight dollars. Or in the in the recent housing bubble, in uh, 2007, everybody oh yeah buy houses they're going up forever. Well they didn't. In my business of, uh, of syndicating commercial real estate, if things have been great for four or five years, everybody says, oh, yeah, I want to get on the bandwagon. Well, maybe that's the time not to. And after it's been bad for three years, everybody's oh, well, everybody knows this is not a, a, a good thing to do. Well, maybe that's the time to get in. I really think you have to look behind what everyone in the crowd thinks and uh, make up your own mind. Wonderful research in the
1: book. Your, your quote I love from Warren Buffett is uh, When others get greedy, I get scared. When others get scared, I get greedy. Exactly.
2: People are scared and they're all. Yeah. Uh, Brian, another example, exactly that. Um, when the stock market dropped, a number of my employees kind of think, Oh, my 401k is down 40%. I'm going to get out. I said, No, no. Buy more. It'll go back, and when it goes back, it'll make a profit. So that's That's Warren Buffett saying. Everybody got scared. He gets greedy. He starts buying, and and Warren Buffett does that extraordinarily well. Another lesson you talk
1: about I think is wonderful for both life and business, and that is make little deals your big deals. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When I started out in business, I was trying to put together a deal which would have taken five years to reach fruition. I a banker, David Maloney, said Alan. he said, you don't want to work five years on one deal. He says, do deals, smaller deals, you can do one or two a month. In five years, you know, 60 months, you'll, you'll do 40, 50, 60 deals, and they'll succeed. If your one deal fails, you've wasted five years of your life, so you know, don't overreach. And The bigger the deal is, the more problems are going to be, and the less likely it is to really happen. So I've made a career of doing you know, relatively small deals, and also, as a corollary of that, you know if you come to me with a billion-dollar deal, and it looks fantastic, I won't do it because if it goes wrong for any reason, it could sink everything. So I say stick to relatively little deals and things that will happen that you can do.
1: You've got some really interesting advice on um, the annual review. Um, and, as you call it, the dreaded annual review, tell us right. a little bit about the epiphany that you had in, in thinking about reviews and and uh, in, in your your awakening there
2: absolutely you know, i 've done annual reviews with employees for years and, and most uh, most companies do an annual review and they they hate it because you can to have to tell the employee that things are doing wrong and then talk about salary. I say, look, I mean <laughs> you know i 'm a football fan and At halftime, coaches tell their team what to do better. And if the coach, if you said to the coach, hey, you're the coach of the team, but you can't tell anybody anything until after the season's over, that's ludicrous. So really, the annual review shouldn't be dreaded, and it's a review of management. Did management tell the employee what they could be improving, what they could be doing all along the way, every day, every week? Help them out. So that there's no surprise in the annual review and it
1: won't be dreaded by either side. Mm. I got some really great advice, which I think you'd like from a friend of mine many years ago. Uh, and I just used it today, matter of fact, in, a, in an interview I had with one of my managers that has a team reporting into her. And it said, you know, I said to her, Lauren, you, you really never need to fire anybody. You just need, need to make them understand that unless they change their behaviors and their habits, they will. They are not the right person for the job because these are the expectations. What's your thought on that? Do you think there's some truth in that? That it, it to, to follow on what you were saying, of course.
2: Yeah, Byron, there certainly uh, is some truth in that. You you should let people know what what is expected and and where they are not meeting expectations. That's that's for sure. In terms of letting them stay regardless, I would be against that. I, I have a chapter in People, Tools for Business, Ready, Aim, and the obvious next word is fire, where i say, you know, look, when I was practicing, law, I had a secretary, and after six months I fired her because she just wasn't good enough. A year later, she sees me in the lunchroom of the same building. She says, Alan, now I'm working for the attorney in the penthouse. And I said, well, that's great. And she said, and he thinks I'm the best secretary he's ever had. And I, I believe her. So she found a niche where she was appreciated, her talents, her skills, her approach, and it was a better situation for her. I know it was a better situation for me. So being fired, now obviously, you know you lose salary and, and, and money is an issue and all that, but if you look at it as an opportunity to find something which fits you better, I, I think it can be a big plus, and I think people have to be helped sometimes to, to find a better niche for themselves. Tom
1: Peters has a wonderful quote from his great book in *In Search of Excellence* that I read a gajillion years ago, but it's yeah. uh, it, it's entitled "Ready, Fire, Aim" rather, rather <laughs> than rather than "Ready, Aim, Fire." Of course, what's your take on that, Fun, Huh?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, so <laughs> I may have unconsciously kind of turned it around a little bit, but mm. yep, I would. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't, uh, where he says ready, fire, aim, Yeah, you know, people sometimes uh, fire uh, before they thought things through and, you know, you shoot off your foot instead of whatever your target should be. Mm-hmm.
1: Let's take a break, everybody, back in just a few minutes with Alan.
0: Life Tips will be right back after this short break.
1: Bruce BruceClay.com.
0: WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network through iHeartRadio Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. And now back to life tips making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back,
1: Alan. Thanks so much for being on the show.
0: My pleasure, Byron.
1: If you had one tool, one people tool that you could bring with you on your journey to greatness, what would that
2: tool be? Well, my goal in life is to enjoy it. So the one tool I would bring is catch the up elevator. And by that I mean and that's, that's one of the people tools for business. And you, know, you wake up every day, let's suppose you're on the ground floor. You could push the button of life to go into the basement, the sub-basement of the penthouse. And i say, for example, hang out with people who are constructive, And smile. When you smile, the endorphins just rush into your brain, and you feel happier. And, you know, that's cheap, it's easy, and the results are amazing. So I say, smile, catch the up elevator every day.
1: Hmm. How many floors do you need to go up in the elevator to feel happiness?
2: (laughs) Well, that's an individual matter. And uh, I, I would say even going up a half a floor is better than not. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, when you get the hang of it, you can probably go up many, many floors, many levels over where you are now, and I'm not saying you get to the penthouse every single day, but you can sure, uh, sure aim for it.
1: When you get in the elevator every day, are you always pressing the pH button and seeing where it goes, or are you more strategic with your own life and pressing a particular floor and hoping you get there?
2: Well, for me personally, I was leaving my house last Saturday and I was in a grumpy mood in my car. I'm driving down the street. I said, Hey, Alan, you know, hey, you wrote a, a, a book. You know, catch the El You better take your own advice. And I did and I smiled. And the rest of the way they went better. Now, sometimes I'm just down and whatever. In that case, I try to, you know, maybe I'll aim for the second floor and that's better than what I'm at now. Uh, or sometimes I find myself in the basement and getting back to the ground floor is fine. So, you know, it depends. And nobody's perfect, and you can't do this stuff all the time. But I think as, a, as you develop a habit, then you're going to get much better at enjoying your life and being happy.
1: I have to ask you one question. You know, a lot of the book seems to me about skills and strategy. Is there a reason you didn't look at a potential name of people's skills, or is that not really fit? Why do you like tools, the concept of tools, better than, than skills?
2: No, well, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think that skills is a very accurate word to describe what I'm talking about. I think tools is a less common uh, word. I when I gave a book reading, the first book reading I did, someone came in and said, I, I came into this bookstore to buy a book on, on, on tools, and, and I thought you were talking about tools. She said, but I, I like what you said, so I'll buy your book. Um, so I, it's it's a way of getting people to think about what they do differently and giving them tools in the sense of ways to think uh, rather than the way you've always done it. So you, you, you know there's a tool for it. You know, if you're a carpenter and you don't have a saw, you're going to have trouble like, like separating pieces of wood and uh, that's a tool. And if you're in life and you don't have a tool, for example, to deal with people who are angry at you, uh, where I have a tool, pineapple fluff, uh, then you're not going to do too well with anger. What tools
1: do the most successful people have um, with your research? And obviously, you've probably written about most of them in the book, but are there any any, any particular people that you may have run across or interviewed um, that have this sort of ensemble of tools that's remarkable that has helped them be where
2: they are? I, I think the tool which really separates the people who succeed is uh, positive, self-fulfilling prophecies. In other words, you think you can do it, even in the face of adversity. Uh, before last uh, Thanksgiving, I had to do something with the book, and I had a project, came in at 9 in the morning on Friday, at 10 p.m. I, I still had not started it, and I had to leave the next morning at 6 a.m., so I thought, oh, God, I'm too tired, I won't be able to do it. I said, Alan, stop, stop, don't tell you. I'm not tired yet. So keep on going. And I kept on going. I finished at 1 in the morning. I finished the task, and I still wasn't tired. So when you give yourself a positive a prophecy that this is going to work, I will succeed, it will turn out well. Now, you might be wrong part of the time, and most people don't like to be wrong ever, but it's okay to be wrong part of the time, and then um, but then succeed more. So would you rather be right? I mean, if you predict failure... You can be right every time. So if I predict success ten times and I'm only successful six times, oh, well, I've succeeded six times. So I think self-fulfilling prophecies make them positive.
1: Are educational institutions helping students tool up and turn on their tools?
2: Well, some yes, some no. I was at high school yesterday talking to uh, the students there, And I could tell. Some of them have a positive attitude and some negative. And the problem is when you have a negative attitude, then you don't succeed. And then the teachers tend to reinforce that. There's an interesting study, Byron, very interesting, where teachers were told on their incoming class, you know, they took two average students and told the teachers, these are late bloomers, they're going to do really well. And lo and behold, they did really well. So... I think the teacher's attitude has a lot to do with it, and uh, you know I've been to high schools where they tell the kids, you know, you're you're low income, you're, your parents haven't went to college, you won't be able to do it. I, I want to counter that message because what you think you can do or can't do is an absolute limit. You know, sometimes I ask people, Brian, what's what's the maximum you think you can earn a year, and you know, someone will say fifty thousand dollars or twenty thousand or two hundred thousand. I say, well, you're right. That is the maximum because that's the maximum you put on yourself. And if you're very close, I suggest you raise it. Don't limit yourself.
1: Great point there. And to that point, can you practice people tools? And if so, how do
2: you you practice? Um, Pick out the ones that have the most relevance to you. Of uh, the people, tools, in the first book, there are fifty-four. The second book, there are fifty. I don't expect everybody to you know do every one all the time, but there's a waitress, uh, in, excuse me, in Los Angeles, one of the top waitresses in the South Bay. She carries the book around with her, and and she says, you know, when she has a problem, she just opens it to a chapter, and they're all you know two, three, four-page chapters, and she says solves my problem. So, you know, I say take what resonates with you, and then then just do it. And be with people who practice doing it with you.
1: Is there a routine, though? I mean, can you say, okay, today I'm going to work on these five skills, or this week I should work on this skill, um, or this tool, you know, um, and then check with yourself every day saying, yes, I worked on that and I did a good job there. I mean, do you feel like there's a success, a pass, (laughs) fail, if you will, for working with people, working on
2: people tools? Well, I think it's important to succeed, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm going to work on five because if you work on five and you succeed on three, then you can say oh I failed on two, and we tend to look at our failures uh, more than our successes. So I would say pick one. You know I wrote I, I wrote a blog uh, recently that you know I will prevail because uh, I have a friend who's always giving herself negative messages. I said I said pick something that you know you can do. You're going to cook an egg for breakfast, whatever, and then do it. And I say, I prevailed. So I say, pick something that you can do. Pick something easy first and prevail and get the habit of prevailing. And then go on to, I would do one at a time and, and get the, the, the habit of being successful with it. The book is People, Tools for Business, and it's been
1: great, Alan, having you on the show today.
2: Well, my pleasure, Byron. It's been, uh, been very nice talking to you.
1: My two favorite questions are who do you want to get to hold of you? And how do you want them to get a hold of you?
2: Okay. Well, anybody interested in uh, having a happier life, uh, in business or in person, and you can get a hold of me. My website is Peopletoolsbook.com. That's Peopletoolsbook.com. And uh, for email, it's Alan, A-L-A-N, at Peopletoolsbook.com.
1: Fantastic. Once again, having you on the show, Alan. Thanks much.
2: Thank you very much, Byron. I appreciate it.
1: Right on. Until next week, everybody, okay. I hope your life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Thanks for tuning in to the Life Tip Show. Peace out.